0: Hello, and welcome to the Being Human podcast, where we explore what it means to truly be human, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And on this episode, politically. If you're new here, or if you're returning and you haven't yet, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you do not miss any future content coming from Being Human. On this episode of the podcast, I sat down with Dr. Jeevan Sandhur. Jeevan is a member of the Labour Party, and he is going to be running to be MP of the Loughborough constituency. Jeevan has a background in philosophy and economics. He is in fact a doctor of economics. He has worked in the treasury, he has worked as an economist in Somaliland, and now he has turned his attention to politics. I sat down with Jeevan today to ascertain not just his and his party's political agenda for Loughborough as a constituency, but his philosophical agenda as well. I wanted to get to the core of what it means to be a member of the Labour Party. I asked him about how he makes tough decisions, his decision making process, how he's guided not just by the principles of the Labour Party, but his own moral constitution as well. I asked him about the importance of religion in building and maintaining a community and not just the community, but the morality of the community. I asked him to convince me why a flat income tax rate is not fair. I asked him what he had to say to people who say that Labour and Conservative are two cheeks of the same ass. And I asked him the classic philosophical question of what is the meaning of life? And how does politics fit into that meaning? Whether you consider yourself to be on the left, on the right straight down the middle whether you're enthralled by politics and you read the financial times every morning or if you're like me these days and you don't really keep up to date with it at all i think you'll find this podcast interesting like i said i obviously wanted to speak to him about his political agendas and how he will benefit the people of Loughborough through politics but i also wanted to talk about the deeper things as we like to do here at being human so i hope you enjoy it if you do please make sure to like Comment, share, and hit that subscribe button as well. Thank you for watching and thank you for supporting being human. So, when did you decide that you wanted to enter politics? And why did you decide you wanted to enter politics?
1: So I was reasonably young, and it's not fashionable to say that, but I was about must be between 16 and 18. And I was at this point in my life where I was like, right, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? basically. Um, and I come from a family of business people. So I was like, what is it that I want to do next? And for me it was, you know, when it boiled down to everything, it was like, actually I want to see a world in which people do better, in which they thrive. And how do you achieve that? And also I think about the time I was studying economics already. And I was like, well you can be an economist and write the best papers in the world, but fundamentally, unless you're convincing people so it's not just about having the right answer. It's about a democracy convincing people and getting them to move forward. That's the way you make change. And so then, from that point on, I was like, okay, this is something that I want to do. And I was also quite on the other side of it, but also I was going to have a separate career. So I was going to bring something to the table, right? And that's why I became an economist. So it's like why I went to the Treasury, it's why I went to Smyland and then the PhD and then obviously now head to politics. So that's kind of where i And at. And to this point, so I'm hopefully, you know, uh, we win, I win. And actually we can make those changes in this country. And of course, for Loughborough for Shepshire and the villages.
0: And you say because you wanted to make changes. Were there changes in particular that you saw in society that you thought needed to be made? And if so, what are those?
1: So I think they've also changed quite a lot, right? So when I was kind of joining the Labour Party, which is back in back in 2010, I was volunteering before that, and I think I joined in at some point in 2010, a bit before the election. Um, I'd actually seen the country had gotten better. So actually in 20, that was probably the point I was like, right, which party am I actually going to join, right? I mean, that's politics. what I was going to ask you as
0: well.
1: Why Labour? Why Labour? Because I'd grown up in a country that had been getting better. Uh, poverty had been declining. Our health service was getting better. Our education system was getting better. Things had gotten better for everybody. We had seen a country and I'd seen progress in my life. And actually at that point I was studying economics and I was also thinking, looking forward, who is it had the best economic policy at that particular point in time? And I was like, actually... I want to see a continuation of the successes of those years. And then, you know, that, if you like, compared to now, which is a very, it's a different story, right? So when I was young, I knew climate change was an issue, certainly. Now it's very clear that it's one of the most important things that we have to do. We're obviously in a cost of living crisis, public services are crumbling. So you've got this huge domestic crisis we have to fix, make sure wages grow for the future and deal with kind of climate change. Those are things now that are different, if you like, than the things I was thinking about in 2010. But the broad idea of a country which everybody can thrive has remained the same. Okay. And
0: you cited there the reason you chose
1: Labour is because you looked at their policies
0: and you believe they were more effective at bettering the country. Were there certain principles of what it means to be a member of the Labour Party that attracted you mm-hmm. that say, a party like the Conservatives or the Lib Dems doesn't have? Because I-, I wanted to read you a yeah. here, which is quite... A, quite. He wasn't the first person to say this, but he said it recently in Parliament. Chris Law, a SNP MP, mm. he said a couple of months ago, Labour and Conservative are, I quote, two cheeks of the same arse. What would you have to say in response to that? Because some people have the opinion, all politicians are the same, it's very much a game. Mm. Are, are there principles that you think a Labour politician upholds that other parties do not? Mm. And what are those principles?
1: So I think the idea is we achieve more when each of us does well. Like that to me is what the Labour ethos is, right? And actually that's the important thing. The important thing is the end. You then figure out the means, but you then think, the thing you're thinking about is can we create a country in which that does happen? I think a difference in the distinction between kind of, for example, us and the Conservative ethos, Right. The conservative ethos would say a lot more, well, some people will do well and other people won't do well at all, but that's the way the world should be. And actually, I would say as a country, that also makes you fall down. Because if not everyone is doing well, you don't have a stake. Actually, everyone is also just worse off. And I think you're seeing the consequences of those decisions at the moment, right? So obviously, the the clearest example was the, the trust budget last year, which was like massive tax cuts for the rich. And just completely blowing everything apart at a time during like a once in in a lifetime cost of living crisis. Mm -hmm. Another, like, clear differentiation, I think, like the clear dividing lines between ourselves and the Conservative Party, right? Mm -hmm. Let's take cost of living. We would say we're going to levy a windfall tax on oil and gas giants, proper one, not with these kind of exemptions you've got at the moment, and use that money. We would have used it. The last bit to kind of get your bills down directly in the short term in the long term invest in retrofitting 19 million homes that gets the bills down for the future and on top of that as well a more renewable homegrown renewables that gets our energy bills down for the future so we're not dependent on natural gas type. putin the, the choice by the conservative party was to kind of go well actually um, we're not going to have oil and gas giants the insulation grants are far too little the similarly so the heat pump thing isn't working but if you can afford it to insulate your home which is quite expensive quite a few thousand pounds during cost of living crisis like well done um and that's what we've seen like that's the the start of and then looking forward we would say invest in the green transition because yes it helps us to get to uh, stop emitting carbon yes it helps us Ensure that there's a planet for our grandchildren. Also, by the way, we can export those technologies abroad, but it also ensures we have wages today. And also, we want to work with business to have a kind of partnership between government and business to kind of see those industries grow. Whereas I think the conservative isn't there at all. Right, conservatives should be like, hands off. We're going to do this. I'd also say there's something particular about the situation of the conservative party, like. You know, you've seen it with the COVID contracts. You're seeing it at the moment, I think, with the constant scandals. Look, I don't know when this is going to go out. Last night, the immigration minister resigned a few weeks ago. Uh, Suena Braverman resigned. Sunak, of course, appointing her when he knew that she'd already leaked classified information. Something is different about the iteration of the concert- conservative party. Like, we are serious. We're a party of stability. And I think you've seen chaos on the other side. I think the fundamental ideological thing is, when everyone does well we as a country do better let's go for that aim as the conservative party say whoever does well does well that's it and does it really reflect like what the needs are in especially a modern economy with you know far more complicated world than it used to be
0: what do you think that is that in your opinion the labor party is able to manage itself well and effectively and the conservative party manages itself or does not manage itself very well manage itself in a chaotic way
1: it's the leadership Right? It's what Keir did the moment he got into office and the moment he won the leadership election. Keir was very clear. He had this like three-step plan. Let's be, we had our worst defeat in a century. He's like, I'm going to ensure this party is electable, that I'm going to change this party. Um, I'm going to make the case the country of why these Conservatives are not fit to govern and, as we are doing, setting out a positive case for government. The point is that Keir did that hard work. Right? He said, no, these are the standards we expect. These are standards we don't expect we as parliamentary candidates have it kind of, we know what we're representing, we are here to serve the country, like that is the message that has gone down from the top to us and that is also the ethos to which we all subscribed and if we weren't doing that, we wouldn't be part of the party we wouldn't be candidates, we wouldn't be MPs, well, in the moment, right? On the other side, I don't think you've seen a Conservative Party that said your ethos is to serve the country and as to why that's happened, I mean, that's kind of a question I think for them. It's clear that it hasn't happened, and I think also the leadership on that party just hasn't had. They haven't said to their kind of their own team, "This is what the stands are expected, and not expected." And you know, I mean, Boris Johnson was Boris Johnson, uh, the Liz trust catastrophe, um, and then Rishi had a, if you like, he did have this opportunity, right? But what did he do? He said. I'm going to point Braverman because I think that's going to help me win the leadership election. I'm going to appoint Zahawi, even though I know there are real questions about his tax affairs that have simply been found, kind of uh, to you know make him leave office. And on the other hand, Rob and the bullying claims—like, Rishi knew all of this, and what did the leadership from the top down say? Rishi went, "Well, I'm going to ignore it because I think that's convenient, and I think that's the difference, right?" So I think a big part of this, frankly, is. Keir Starmer, Rishi Sunak, and their relative character and integrity. Okay. okay. You're not Loughborough born and bred. Nope.
0: This will inevitably disillusion some people from voting for you. What would you say to those people? How can you specifically, Jeevan Sander, benefit the people of Loughborough?
1: Yeah, well, look. Yeah, you're right. Let's be honest and straight with people. And I said that during my selection as well. Like I moved up here beforehand and said, look, I'm showing a commitment to this area because I, as an economist, that's as I put forward, have wanted to this country get better. Now, I worked at Treasury, also lived in Somaliland for two years. Wherever I've gone in the world, I've worked to make those places better and the people that I've served. I moved here to serve the people of Loughborough, of Shepshed, of the villages. So I walked here you know, from my flat that's like you know, 10 minutes away, Right. <laughs> And for people listening to this, it is a
0: horrid date. It is think. horrible. It's, it's been chucking it down all day. Yeah, and I'm lucky
1: I'm not dredged, right? Like, so yeah. that's that's where we got to. So, <laughs> like, absolutely, like, that's what I've done. I've come here and said, right, I'm putting myself, this is the place I'm going to make my home. This is the community I'm going to serve. And for the people watching it at home, they will know that I'm on the doorstep constantly. They'll know I've got the events I go to and the people that I'm constantly listening and speaking to. I take my kind of responsibility and duty to hopefully serve the people of this constituency very, very seriously. And that's why I moved up here, right? Because I knew you absolutely, so if you're going to do this, you're going to do this properly. And that's absolutely what I am uh, here to do. The other thing I'll say this the final thing is that like, I, one, the reason I'm member of the Labour Party, because I don't believe how we do in life should be judged upon how we're born, but how we live. And this is the life that I've chosen. So I hope that that's, you know, I'm putting myself forward and that's, that's the case.
0: A big focus of your manifesto is the children of Loughborough mm-hmm. schools They could be in a better state. I think we can all say that. Other than financial investment, because that's often a politician's answer to this, oh, well, we need to you know, invest in new technologies, um, a better environment for these children. But beyond financial investment, in terms of actual education, what do you think needs to be done in schools to help children?
1: Yeah. So we have like our pro- program is to rebuild and reform, right? We are going to hire thousands of more teachers and we're going to pay for that and be very clear about that, by levying VAT upon private school fees. We're going to do that because we know the problems that are in state education at the moment. Now, that's the rebuild part. That is a bit more cash. And by the way, everything we're going to put down in our manifesto, and I'm an economist used to work in the Treasury, I can guarantee you it is going to be funded. Current expenditure will be funded out of taxation. The other side is the reform side and it's about teacher training. That's ensuring that teachers do have the qualifications. So we know there's lots of teachers at the moment who are in schools who just don't have teaching qualifications. That's the really big thing for us, right? Ensuring they have those qualifications, ensuring that, of course, those special needs children are better able to deal with it. That's, if you like, in the primary and secondary sector. And there are some other things around breakfast clubs we want to do. But also, we've got early years childcare in this country. Now people are listening at home with young children will know that theoretically they have a certain entitlement in practical terms, often not the case. We are going to have workforce reform again to deliver those places. So it is rebuild and reform. We are very clear that like this is not a, and it's it's true, you cannot simply throw bad money at a problem expected to be fixed. Like you have to spend that money wisely. Every penny will be judged upon that. I've worked in the treasury, Rachel I hope will be in the treasury as the chancellor that's what our mission is in government and to do that to have better outcomes to everybody so that's what we're going to do like rebuild reform and it's going to be and you know i believe this country's best day ahead of us you're right though it is a difficult situation it's not going to be easy
0: another focus Mm -hmm. you've already alluded alluded to it sorry the cost of living crisis Mm -hmm. energy bills we can debate all day about why we're in this situation, but how do you propose to actually bring down those energy bills for people? Yeah, well,
1: look, uh, if we were in power, we'd be insulating homes. We'd be making sure we have homegrown renewables to ensure your bills are the lowest, right? We have we had the highest inflation in the, in the G7. Why? Because we had the highest energy bills. Why? Because we had the worst insulated homes and because we're dependent upon natural gas supplied by Putin, right? We are going to deal with that at the source. If we had have been in power, we would have had a full tax immediately to get the bills down. That is the long-term plan to get energy bills down in this country. And that is a program of investment, right? That's investment that gets your bills down, not just now, but for the future and helps us transition to net zero. So that's like if you like the bill side. On the other side of it, and one of the reasons why, or like if you like my vision for like you know, Loughborough, my economic vision, we have world-leading Companies here that specialize in renewable technologies, we as the Labour party will invest in and work with private sector companies to make those innovations, to expand, to get jobs and wages rising here. And that's something else. That's what I definitely want to see here. So on the one hand, get your bills down. On the other hand, get wages rising. There are some other things as well, like reform the apprenticeship levy, making it easier for infrastructure to be built, stuff like that. But those are the two fundamental things: bills down, wages up. How are we going to do it? And that is the things that we're thinking about, right? And that is our plan for the next five years. So, look, we spent a lot of this. I spent a lot of this talking about what's gone wrong. I think everyone at home can see this country. I think everyone knows that. Everyone knows
0: what's gone wrong. Yeah, everyone knows the issues. It's the answers, and that's the people want.
1: And for me, that is the next five years, right? That's the mission. That's the job. And we know if people do choose to elect me, fundamentally. Uh, in the five years, four years after that election, and there's a the next general election, they will judge me on it. And either we would have been successful, or we won't. And like, I'm determined to make it a success. Let's go.
0: The university is a massive part of Loughborough. Mm-hmm. A massive part of Loughborough's reputation is the university. How do you ensure that? Or how do you plan on working with the university to ensure that that reputation stays at the level it is in the university? Mm-hmm. And how you kind of bring that reputation out into Loughborough as a whole to help advance it?
1: I think it already has, right? I think university has done great work in the sense of it's brought a lot of great jobs here. It's brought a lot of great innovation here. It's been a hub for those industries that I want to see expand. The so university has done great jobs and great links. I think the thing that we want to see is to see that expand. I suppose in kind of the the practical terms of this, right? So there'll be part of this, which is like, if you like public research funding, and that's kind of one question. Of course, you know, people here will come to study um, English and the arts and humanities and social sciences. And absolutely, you know, I was a social scientist myself. Brilliant. People do come here, get great degrees and go on to do great things. Absolutely, we applaud that. And of course, everyone knows how brilliant Loughborough is at sports, right? I think uh, if it was... Someone told me if it was a country, would have won the eleventh most Olympic medals. It's you know, it's incredible I achievements. Believe it. I know. Yeah. Uh, I'm you know not the great sportsman in the world, but like I absolutely you, know, you can admire the stuff. I I try very hard. Uh, <laughs> I just did not have the coordination, unfortunately. But um, absolutely brilliant. But on the other side of it, the innovation we are seeing here is the things I want to see expand. And if you like, that's like you're going to have primary research that is going on already. Yes, you want funding for primary research. You don't want funding and abilities for scale up. You know, you incubate things at university and you see growth on that side. If you think about what growth means in a modern, uh, high-tech, advanced economy like the United Kingdom, it is about, you know, cutting edge research, scaling, applying it. Now, we have seen that happening in the United States. Biden's doing it. You know, Biden's seeing the largest economic growth, the largest wage growth of any G7 country. If we're bringing that here for Loughborough in particular, just in the small level, that's how you get wages rising, good jobs and expansion, right? Um, So that's absolutely the vision. And then on the other side, we do have more advanced manufacturing as well. Jobs for, yes, people who are going to be graduates, but also non-graduates to come through. We do want to absolutely see that. And the university and also say the college does also do absolutely brilliant stuff. So let's go. I saw the other night you attended
0: a carol service at the Baptist Church. How important is religion today in building and maintaining not just the community, mm. but the morality of the community, in your opinion?
1: It certainly is. Look, the, the sense of community, like, that's not the reason I like going to community events. And one of them, it sounds a bit weird, is just the sense of community. And, you know, it's also because we've grown up in an age where, like, you know, the digital and, like, world has become more apparent. And actually, in one sense, we can kind of live slightly more atomizing distances than before. One of the things I really appreciate is the sense of community you get. So, absolutely, I really, really enjoy that. I think it provides that community space. A place actually where diverse, people from diverse backgrounds will come and mix, which actually is, is happening a bit less. So, like, it's great to see it happen there. In terms of the morality side, look, we have a set of values that, if you like, I would say have been... Uh, Exculpated and uh, kind of set out and articulated by religion. Because there's a lot of people who don't believe in God, right? But they would sign up to the fundamental tenet. So, like thinking about the church in in particular, do to others, you do unto yourself. It's like a basic tenet of humanity, right? You know, thinking about the messages within the New Testament that every single one of us shares in a sense of a common humanity that shares in a uh, has equal worth. With that regard as human beings was at that time a revolutionary idea. At this time, is part of the accepted morality of us as people who live in this country and and elsewhere. Like that is the common common thread. So I think on that side of it, like we should be celebrating that. Um, and one thing about Loughborough as well, that's really really great, is that we have a very good interfaith dialogue meetings so we do have here the council of faith who will go around from faith community to faith community representatives of all of them mixing um uh, appreciate each other because they say well actually we all have something very much in common um, the interfaith harmony is great to see here and it's very heartwarming and very inspiring and like look it's why it's important to go um not only because i enjoy it because actually for the future if i also if i am elected like it's absolutely something i would support
0: Oftentimes, on that note, people can say there's conflicts between political policies and religion. Mm. Do you foresee any difficulties in terms of your work when you become MP here in having to navigate that? Obviously, you just talked about Mm. um, the interfaith community um, processes that Loughborough has to help with that. But do you foresee any issues? And how, in a hypothetical scenario, would you go about Combating that, if you felt as though your political duties or policies you are to implement in any way could potentially offend people of a certain faith,
1: um, I think that you were elected as a representative, and also fundamentally, there are decisions that are going to have to be made that people are going to be uh, are not going to like. That's always going to happen. There's no point in pretending that's not the case. I knock on a lot of doors. I speak to a lot of voters people will absolutely say I disagree with you on this particular issue but I respect why you're holding that view and why you're doing that like that is the way forwards like you know you have a set of values that define kind of why you remember the political party and then you define that what that means for government those values define what you do what you believe and then on the other side of it you'll show that you're competent at governing like that is where the the kind of it all starts up you don't And you shouldn't work backwards from trying to kind of, you know, um, shoot for every single kind of face. You see um, some kind of, I don't know how to put it, but like almost like a uh, kind of a, a solid advantage. I don't know how to better, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't work backwards from that. And the truth is as well, if we are elected, we are going to do things that are going to people are going to be unhappy about. And people, you know, there are things that we have at the moment people are not always happy about. But they do respect that we go back and say, actually, this is why we hold this This position, why I hold these positions. Um, And every now and again, someone will say to me, that's great, I think that means I can't vote for you. And I say, I completely understand that. But I'll still have this like long conversation with you because irrespective of what happens, if I am elected, I will still be representing you and I'll still be here to serve you. It doesn't matter whether or not you vote for me. What matters is... Kind of like I, my job is to serve you, represent you, um, but yeah, there's not there's not a sense in which we're going to kind of tack with the wind every single time. There's like a loud, a loud group. It's just not the way it's not the way leadership works, right? Hmm.
0: I think you raised a very good point there, though, that um, to be a good politician, there's kind of two tongs to it. You've got to have ultimately good principles that guide you, and you, good policies, a good manifesto, a good constitution that you think. Can govern the country effectively, but then the other part of it is you've actually got to be competent and effective at carrying that out. Because then it doesn't matter how good your ideal is, if you then can't convert that into reality, it's a moot point. It's a wasted exercise.
1: Yeah, right. And like you would see that in your in your own jobs. You know, uh, when you people at home, right? You know, you work for someone. You have a boss. If you you know, ideally in an ideal world, your boss is both incredibly nice and incredibly effective. That's the ideal world of it. If your boss is effective but not as kind of nice and warm as you'd like them to be, you can accept that things get done. Um, but if you're kind of very nice, but not very effective, like what well, are you doing? Nobody's winning in any way. Nobody's winning. <laughs> right? you, you wouldn't want that to be someone you were yeah. working with. And that's the same for a political party. You have to be competent. Uh, it's why we're so strict about what we do, what we say. Uh, it's why we're not making huge amounts of like spending pledges. Like, you know, the amount of times, you Know, we're seeing it on the quite a lot. They're like, Well, why will we not commit to this? This, this, and then we're like, Because we're possibly a year away from a general election, we're not going to start just like saying things that make conversations easier, we're going to be serious about governing. It's a huge amount of work's gone to it, like a uh, real testament to Kieran Rachel for doing it. Like the absolute hard yards to get to his position, uh, it's, it's been great to see.
0: You just mentioned a moment ago making decisions, making tough decisions, that's obviously going to be key in you making the impact you want to have. Obviously, you're guided by the principles and virtues of your party, of the Mm. Labour Party. But personally, what principles, philosophies, or decision-making processes do you have that you implement in helping you make, quote-unquote,
1: the right decisions? That's a really good question. What What is the thought process when you have to make decisions? I think you... You start with the thing you were talking about, what is the aim, right? And actually defining that is really, really important. What is the aim and work backwards from it and don't get distracted. You know, what is it that you want to achieve? Um, so you kind of look at the end and you go, right, that's the goal I want to see happen. And then you just work backwards and think about all the things you need to do to get to that point. And that's kind of where you get to. Um, I suppose you make a decision in general. In terms of a tough decision, I mean, I'm trying to think of, of some of the ones that we have, you know, at the moment that people certainly see as being more more tricky. I mean, look, one thing we would say, right, our general approach to this is some of the, the tax money we're raising is very much like taxes on the super rich to get the money into the NHS, right? So suppose we started off with a problem saying there are just nowhere near enough doctors and nurses. Like, you know it, I know it. Um, because every single time we try and call your you GP, you can't get through for three weeks. Um, or they have an appointment three weeks and you know they've absolutely worked off their socks, go to a GP surgery, you know, eight minutes, just in, out, in, out, trying to do the best they can. We work backwards from how do we do that? But at the same time, knowing we have very difficult circumstances that we also don't know how bad things can inherit it. Actually, right, that's the aim. How do we get there? How do we raise this tax revenue? Okay, there's a group of people here who are incredibly wealthy, but aren't paying tax this country. Uh, let's go and tax them and pay for it. Uh, but I think that's where you work backwards. From just think about the ends, come back and like have it be quite simple. Uh, don't get too distracted, and stick. And also something else when you make a decision, stick to it. Stick to it. Like pick a strategy, stick to it. Uh, that's important. Like on the macro level, yes, in the point of a government, but on like the micro level, like you know people who go to work in the office. Again, if you have a boss who's constantly like chopping and changing, it's really not helpful. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, so, like you know, at the third-party conference, right? The Prime Minister stood up and said, past 30 years have been awful, need complete change. Uh, I'm here to represent that change. That change is going to be by scrapping all this infrastructure projects, which was like a bit weird. Everyone kind of went, this is a bit strange. You've been in power for 13 years. And then like four weeks later goes, right, I'm bringing back David Cameron. And it's like, imagine your CEO being like, we're going to change everything because everything's been awful. And then bring back the old CEO four weeks later. You'd be like, this is absolutely bonkers. Pick a strategy and stick to it. This is basic leadership stuff.
0: On the topic of taxes,
1: yeah.
0: convince me that a flat income tax rate is not fair. Is not fair? Is not fair. Um, but, I, I'm saying that on the presumption that you don't think a flat income tax oh, no, rate no, I don't, fair. I don't.
1: Um, because you, it comes back from the question of ensuring that everybody thrives, right? So you start off with that, that idea. Actually, if you're in a system where you're saying, right, well, if you're, you know, earning 20-something thousand pounds a year, you're getting paid 20% on the, on the bit over the personal allowance, um, and you're getting the same tax rate as someone else who's earning 150,000 pounds a year, obviously, proportionally, you're paying a high proportion of your income in taxes, right? So that intuitively um, seems slightly odd, especially when you think about the fact that things need to be paid for. So that person who's earning 150 grand a year and you're taxing a bit more, that is paying for the NHS, the schools, those NHS, those schools, those roads, by the way, and the roads are awful, but those, those schools, those hospitals, they educate everybody. And it also means for the future, the person who is earning 100 and 150 grand a year is doing so not just because an absolutely personal initiative, great hard work, it's also because they are working with people who had a decent education, who, have, who went to a decent education, have a health service to look after them. That helps everybody be better off. And so the question is, how are you gonna raise the revenue to get the public services, the hospitals, the schools that you need to everyone to thrive? If you're putting a flat tax, you're gonna have a lot of people at the bottom really struggling, and they're struggling already. And in fact, obviously, to get the same tax take, you have to put taxes up on them, uh, which is definitely not where we are as a party. Um, because we think tax is, you know, the highest tax burden in, in history. Um, you're, you're raising taxes on them, making it hard for them to survive, and you're not kind of providing the other goods that you need. Um, another thing, you know, in this country, we're the only country to see sickness, long-term sickness rise of the pandemic because the NHS is just fundamentally not working. Um, if you have the tax revenue from the richest and you put the back in the NHS it does mean that like uh, there's both a kind of a moral kind of imperative because it means that actually like some reason everybody can get it but like on the economics as well you're going to be better off as a country because people aren't going to be long-term sick.
0: So would you say there's a moral burden on people that are well off in life have lots of money to then pay money back into the system even if it's you know, mandatory in the form of taxes to them better, society as a whole, would you say there is a moral duty on them to do so?
1: I'd say it's a political one that we've also, like, like, as a society, we've cohered around that idea, right? Like, we put forward that idea, and that's the idea that's accepted, if you like, at the ballot box. Like absolutely political parties can come along and say, like, we want a flat, uh, flat tax. They can not say that, right? In terms of, like, the morality of it, I mean, I would say it's not the, not the values that I think we should have as a country, Um, and I don't think it helps in the long run. But they can do that, right? There's also just no appetite for it. Like, we do also collectively reason to moral positions, right? So we move forward and say, actually, these things are, we think this is right, we don't think this is right. And actually, like, progressive taxation is one where people have turned around and gone, you know, actually, if you're earning a lot more money, you should pay a higher percentage of it in tax because you are still going to be really well off, but it helps us do well collectively, and so, yeah, I think that, like, that's where we've got to. And other parties, absolutely. Look, we want not want more, more politics than anybody. Uh, there, no doubt, will be a flat tax party the next election somewhere. I don't think they're going to probably get that many votes.
0: Final question.
1: It's going to be a fun to... one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's
0: a uh, heavy, okay, heavy <laughs> one. Okay, brilliant. heavy one. So, am I correct in saying you studied philosophy? Was it- Economics was it- and philosophy, yeah. Economics and philosophy. So, it's the classic philosophical question. Yeah, go, and I'm going to tie yeah. it into politics. Did you even her, yeah. what is the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? Brilliant. Just- how does politics wow. yeah. Fit into that meaning?
1: Jeez, that's a great question. Um, what is the meaning of life? Oh, okay. I would say this. The greatest choice you have in life with other people... It's the, the friend, greatest joys. The greatest joys, the, the greatest friendships joys. relationship. I have a connection, a relationship. Your joys are my joy. Your suffering is my suffering. Like, that is what gives life a purpose and meaning. We are social beings, right? The relationship we have are the most important things to us. Our family, our friends, those are things that we treasure in life. And I would say, given the fact that we see joy when other people have joy and sadness when they see sadness, I would say the meaning of life is fundamentally improving that joy in the world and that does mean like looking after your family and being nice to your friends and that to me is like the joy and meaning of life like companionship is what is what life is about um and that's not just like in the really worthy sense that does mean like you know going to the pub with your mates for like a really long night is like part of the meaning of life and that's like what makes life great you know it's not just like everything kind of you know um Getting up, doing incredibly worthy things. That is where life is. As a hazard into politics, like you want to create a country in which people are able to, to experience that joy by themselves and with others. Now, on the flip side of it, if you like can't pay the bills, if you can't pay the bills, you know, someone you love can't get the doctor's appointment they need or the operation that they need, your kids' school isn't working, and the building is literally crumbling. That joy in life that you should be experiencing, the people who are most important to you, which will always be your family, is lessened. Your ability to, to live a good life is, is lessened. And that is what, like, that's why politics is so important. Because you are kind of enacting, the, enacting and helping to create the country where people's lives do improve things. Like, more broadly, I'd say this, right? Why I do economics and philosophy, <clears throat> for me, like, philosophy is the why, and economics is to how. So like that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I like that a lot. Yes, yeah, so thank you very much, because also when I first was just going to study philosophy, my mum was like, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that was a great answer. Um, Jeevan, thank you so Thanks much so for, for coming on. I look forward to seeing how you do in the election. Thank you very much. I think the answer is probably very well. And on the presumption that No you... complacency, please. <laughs> <laughs> no complacency, of course. Um, but presuming you do get in I'll then look forward to seeing how you benefit the constituency and more importantly the community of Loughborough
1: Yeah, absolutely thank you very much and also i say this to everyone at, who's listening or watching uh, do feel free to get in contact with me um, and where can I do that so that my numbers are online and that is to my phone uh, also campaign at com. if you DM me on like Facebook or Twitter I think it's a bit harder now but absolutely like you know, the email's there, the phone number's there. People can get in contact with me. They always do. Um, so do just get in touch. That's great. Thank, Thank you. Great.